Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, and a very warm welcome to another episode of the Lizelle Wellbeing Show. And today we're going to be talking about autoimmune disease an umbrella of conditions that includes rheumatoid arthritis, type 1 diabetes, multiple sclerosis and irritable bowel disease, to name just a few. And what these conditions have in common is that they occur when our immune system turns on our body and begins attacking healthy tissue. Now, it's not currently known what causes autoimmunity, why the body sometimes attacks itself, remains one of the biggest unsolved mysteries of medicine. But sadly, these diseases are on the rise and 75% of those affected are women. Well, I'm joined today by Anita Cass, a doctor and researcher who experienced the devastating impact of autoimmune disease when her mother developed rheumatoid arthritis shortly after giving birth. Now, when Anita was just 13 years old, her mother passed away as a result of the arthritis, and Anita vowed to study the illness and one day find a cure. Well, in her new book, The Immune Mystery, she details her decades-long pursuit of groundbreaking research into what causes autoimmune disorders and how to treat them. The answer she found might lie with our hormones. Fighting for her ideas against an establishment that told her many times she was looking in the wrong direction, she eventually made a discovery which has the potential to entirely transform the lives of those with rheumatoid arthritis, a discovery that landed her a record-breaking $95 million pharmaceutical deal. Well, stay tuned as she takes us through this incredible journey in more detail. And don't forget that if you would like to watch our chat today, the video podcast is available on YouTube. And as always, I am looking forward to hearing your thoughts, perhaps on Instagram after the episode. So let's get into the show. So Anita, such a warm welcome onto the podcast. I can't tell you how much I have been looking forward to talking to you and to hearing everything that you have to say. It's such a fascinating area, isn't it? Thanks for having me, Liz. Yes, it really is a fascinating area. Um, it's uh, almost strange that there's not more research in the area. So, yes, I look forward very much to talking about it. Well, let's talk a little bit about your, your journey then. How did you get involved in an area that, you know, spans so much? And we're going to be talking about the immune system and hormones and you know, really common condition, arthritis. There's just so much to say. What What was your personal journey here? Uh, my personal journey started because my mother had rheumatoid arthritis. Um, she developed it after giving birth to me. 
So my earliest memories of her are basically walking slowly and pain in her joints and um, not managing to uh, to do normal daily activities, uh, having to quit her job as a doctor. Um, and uh, over the years, it had a more, more and more profound effect because by the time I was eight, she was pretty much bedridden. Um, so it was five years of just lying in, in bed, really, her last five years. She died when I was 13. Oh, that's um, so tragic. Think, was, was that caused by the pregnancy? I mean, what, what brought that on? Yeah, well, um, we will obviously be going into more about mm. the causes of, of autoimmune diseases, such as rheumatoid arthritis. Um, but yes, in, in her case, the rheumatoid arthritis was triggered um, postpartum after giving birth to me, as it does in in several uh, women with rheumatoid arthritis. Yes. Gosh. So after her, during her funeral, actually, it, it was uh, strange because um, everybody at the funeral was sort of sad, and uh, we were all everybody was in the in the lounge with her coffin there, and. Uh, for me, it was a huge relief uh, knowing that she was no longer suffering because it really was, uh, uh, she, she had sort of lost the battle for, for a few years really before she died. And therefore I had to come out of there because I, I was not in that, um, I was not sharing those feelings of, of, of loss. I was more thinking of, she's finally been set free. So that's when I started to read about rheumatoid arthritis actually for the first time and was fascinated by uh, the immune system. Um, and I had this big question mark, why why did she get rheumatoid arthritis? Um, and since then, I've, since then I, I still have this question mark. So, so we'll see. Gosh, so you then went, you obviously grew up, went to medical school. You were trained in the UK, didn't you? You did your medical degree in Liverpool. That's correct, yes. And then really focused. I mean, has, has this been your life's work then, really? This is this is your mission because of your family background to try and bring help and relief, particularly for women, midlife women and, and more, well, anybody really with an autoimmune condition. It, it's something I'm very passionate about and very, very interested in. And, um, of course, it's extremely rewarding be, being able to help patients with rheumatoid arthritis. Obviously, it is mm. personal for me. Um, so I've, I just feel very fortunate that I'm still able to, to work in this area and, and yes. to do what I do, really. Yeah. So rheumatoid arthritis is an autoimmune disease. Can we just step back a little bit and talk a, about autoimmune diseases in general? What are they and, and what's happening in the body here? To understand autoimmune disease, it, it may be okay to just give a little brief explanation about the about the immune system. Um, not everybody knows exactly what the immune system is. It's easier to envisage the uh, digestive system, for example, or the cardiovascular system. But where is the immune system? What does it do? Um, the immune system is everywhere. It's protecting us constantly against um, invaders, bacteria, pathogens. Um, so it's largely consisting of our white blood cells. So one in every uh, one black, white blood cell to every 50 red blood cells, for example, in our um, bodies. And these are really fantastic soldiers, really, really fascinating. It really is an army with their weapons. Uh, you know, some of them just uh, eat up uh, pathogens. It's fascinating to watch under a microscope. Yeah. And 
uh, unfortunately, <laughs> it really is. It's some beautiful uh, links I can send you later. Um, and unfortunately, what happens in autoimmune disease is that they are, for some reason, which is still not exactly clear, although we have a lot of more research now than uh, 20 years ago, is that these uh, immune cells are now attacking uh, parts, different parts of the body. So in rheumatoid arthritis, it's uh, largely the joints, although other areas can be affected. Um, You have psoriasis with the skin, et cetera, et cetera. So there's over 80 different types of of autoimmune diseases. And it seems that more women are affected overall. Is that right, by autoimmune disease? Absolutely, yes. Um, It's about a three to one ratio, although it differs for various autoimmune diseases. Some have much higher ratios, such as lupus, which you may have heard of, or scleroderma. Um, So women are more affected. And uh, the question is why. Uh, We do know that um, women have a more uh, sort of hyperactive, if you like, immune response. So so we're better at uh, controlling infections. We have an enhanced capability of producing antibodies against infections. Uh, And the downside of that is that because we have such strong immune responses, we can also be more prone to autoimmune disease and uh, the immune response attacking our bodies instead of invaders. There are theories as to why this is the case. Um, so, of course, hormones is is one of these theories. Yeah. Yes. Well, I've I've learned uh, quite a lot more about the immune system, I guess, over the last year, as as so many of us have, in times of of pandemic, and have been talking on my podcast and beyond with various doctors looking at research, particularly looking at estrogen, and I've realised that estrogen is such a fundamental part of our immune system, and is so important you know, to to keep our immune system strong. But of course, I hadn't realized that from what you're saying, that the flip side of that is that because there is such a strong response with estrogen, that it can actually then turn inwardly and work against us in a a strong way. So Mm -hmm. is is that really the the key that we need to understand as women, what is triggering the estrogen, the change of the estrogen from, from being a good guy to a bad guy? That could be absolutely, and um, you re- you remind me of myself uh, when I started this uh, this journey around hormones and sex hormones because estrogen is the most widely researched hormone, uh, so often it tends to get uh, the most blame as well. Um, mm. But we will later perhaps talk about uh, other hormones because it's. Estrogen itself is just one of of a whole battery of uh, differences in hormones between males and females. We also have more transitions in in our life. Uh, You know, obviously, we both uh, men and women go through puberty. But after that, really, uh, men don't have these huge uh, changes in in their hormones Mm. in the way that we do with um, pregnancy, uh, postpartum giving birth the menopause. Um, so these life transitions could also be related to, well, obviously they're related to estrogen and other hormones, but just the fact that you have such a huge uh, change mm-hmm. in the, the amount of hormones um, mm. can also be uh, disturbing the immune response. Yes, absolutely. Were you fearful then when you became pregnant? 
that a similar thing would happen to you because there, there must be also potentially a genetic connection. So with regards to genetics, um, it's, it's not more than 50% of your risk. Uh, and there are several genes that can be um, associated with each autoimmune disease, usually several. Um, so, we've, so for example, in twin studies, in monozygotic twin studies, uh, single-egg uh, twins, then if, if one of the twins has uh, an autoimmune disease, then it's still only about 50% chance that the other twin will have an autoimmune disease. So implying that environmental factors are also very important. Um, so my chances of getting rheumatoid arthritis because my mother had it are still very low yeah, compared to the general, po po with regards to the general population. Um, and I, I felt that, uh, well, I had, I was absorbed in the medical studies. I just got married. Um, so I, I think I, I was, I was too busy to get worried, to be honest. But, but I also knew that um, we, we have better drugs and we ha had better yeah. drugs then than when she was alive. So, so I think um, I wasn't, I wasn't actually worried about it. Yeah. yeah. She was only in the 10% of patients who have such a, an aggressive rheumatoid arthritis as well. I mean, most most patients with rheumatoid arthritis don't have such severe um, progression. And you talk about life events there, particularly for women. Are autoimmune conditions more common during menopause? That's a, an interesting question. And it's definitely harder to research menopause compared to giving birth where you you know the exact date and mm -hmm. everything uh, yeah. changes at once you know your, your hormones change very quickly whereas menopause has this insidious onset and the perimenopause the years before menopause vary from women to women you know some women may even start the perimenopause in their late 30s yes. some in their 40s um, so it's more difficult to research to, mm -hmm. to prove uh, that there is a, a clear link between menopause and autoimmune diseases. However, we do know that uh, there are studies showing that early menopause is a risk factor for, for example, rheumatoid arthritis. Um, and we also know that your pro-inflammatory cytokines, your, your immune system, it tends to be, um, uh, it tends to have a negative change during uh, the menopause. So, so you have much more bone loss during the menopause. In fact, half of your lifetime bone loss is in the few years around menopause. Yeah. And uh, we also know that cardiovascular disease, again, which can be related to inflammation in the blood vessels. Women generally don't have much cardiovascular disease before the menopause. It's only then that their risk starts to approach the same uh, as men. So, so there is this inflammatory component during the menopause that is uh, associated with osteoporosis, cardiovascular disease and autoimmune diseases. Mm. Presumably due to the drop in estrogen and, and other hormones, which we'll talk about. Presumably, yes. <laughs> Spoken like a true, true researcher. Absolutely. Well, it's got, it's got to be evidence-based, hasn't it? You know, we can theorise with all sorts of things. Um, but yeah, it, it, it is really important to be evidence-based here. But as you say, getting the, the, the randomised controlled studies done is very hard when you're dealing with such a varied time frame. 
and a hugely varied set of symptoms. Um, as you say, much easier to, to study during pregnancy when you have a, an absolute outcome of an end date that's, that's, that's very clear. What about other lifestyle factors? Before we go down the, the, um, the hormone hole, if you like, are there any other factors that are influencing our autoimmune risk? Yes, yes. Um, there's a lot you can do. I mean, some factors are more um, rigor rigorously studied and I would like to say confirmed versus others. So, for example, um, a Mediterranean diet is, is really important, I would say. For obviously, we all know that anyway, for, for so many reasons, but for cancer, cardiovascular disease, but yes, also autoimmune diseases. Mm. So I, I can't really um, stress enough the importance of, of a good diet. It's shown to decrease the risk of um, rheumatoid arthritis. Omega-3 fatty acids in fish, nuts, seeds, plant oils, like seed oil, um, it's also been shown to decrease the risk. Uh, we, everybody knows it's not um, healthy to smoke, but yes. I can't stress it enough. That's the biggest environmental risk factor. Is is researched risk factor is smoking. Mm. Absolutely. Mm. It really increases your risk if you're already genetically susceptible. Mm. Um, and not only increases your risk, but also decreases the chance of you responding to drugs if you're a smoker so that's really important but on the good good news is that a little bit little bit of alcohol is is actually shown to decrease risk in several studies so how how, how little is little <laughs> well i want to be careful not to <laughs> have to be careful here but um what this what uh, one study from last year showed for example was less than 30 grams a day which is a lot because 30 grams of alcohol is you know two to three small glasses of wine a day uh, wow. so I, I think that's yeah. you know approaching an uncomfortable amount of alcohol yeah. so I wouldn't recommend that much because it, the the actual um, term was less than 30 less grams than. so fair enough so yeah, yeah. yes so <laughs> so two or three glasses of wine a week at least shouldn't yes. be a problem with yeah. regards to to this at least yes that might be a problem for other things for other things but interestingly <laughs> yeah. you 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 yeah. talk there about the mediterranean diet and i think what we're beginning to understand is the factors within the mediterranean diet and one of the commonalities yeah. with you know regardless of whether you are you know a meat eater or a fish eater or whatever is the use of extra virgin olive oil for example i mean that is ubiquitous mm. throughout the the, mm. the mediterranean diet mm. and the mediterranean diet you know they it, they cook with it they you know bake with it they put it on salads i mean it's just used everywhere and mm. i think we're understanding mm. a little bit more about the protective gut protective properties of extra virgin olive oil which I then guess brings into the question of gut health overall and the role of gut health within the immune system and, and protecting us from autoimmune disease. Very uh, debated question within autoimmunity. Um, we do know uh, that various, as a diet, obviously, um, we know that antibiotic use, alcohol, <laughs> um, medicines, they, they all affect our, our uh, bowels and um, they can irritate the bowel lining, uh, causing small leaks in, in it, inflammation. Um, and so the, the hypothesis is that 
certain toxins, bacterial toxins can then go through these uh, leaky spaces in the bowel, uh, setting off uh, an immune reaction that then progresses into something systemic and an autoimmune disease. Uh, I have to stress it's still it's still a theory, um, mm. but you know why not? We 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 know we shouldn't over-prescribe antibiotics. We, we know we should eat well. Uh, we know we shouldn't overdose on uh, painkillers. So mm. there's, there's no reason not to to follow the lifestyle advice for avoiding a leaky gut, of course. But mm. at the same time, with some caution and, and, and perhaps um, not becoming too over-obsessed with it, as yeah. it, it's, it's a, a potential, uh, be, because I, I wouldn't say that the the research is, is really confirmatory for autoimmune disease onset uh, yet, although suggested. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I've also read some studies, just continuing that on the gut theme, that various gut disorders or pathogens within the gut, things like Helicobacter or uh, Giardia, you know, even you know, acute cases of food poisoning could potentially set off some kind of um, inflammatory reaction within the gut, which could then perhaps trigger an autoimmune disease or disorder later in life. Do you think, yeah. have there been studies looking at that? I'm I'm not too well read on uh, specific studies looking at specific um, pathogens. Um, I I think that the the general uh, consensus is that 
this may this may be a factor but I, mm. I to my understanding it's not confirmed yeah very interesting very interesting indeed thank you well coming back to hormones your research has centered also around something called gonadotropin releasing hormone is that right I think I've probably completely mangled that word <laughs> what is this and, and how, how is it working gonadotropin releasing gonadotropin hormone. there you go it's the um, word of the day <laughs> It's the word of my life. Um, <laughs> Gonadotropin-releasing hormone is a less well-known hormone with regards to to our um, sex hormones and how they work. But it's actually fascinating because estrogen uh, in females and testosterone in males are both governed by this sort of chief hormone in the hypothalamus called gonadotropin-releasing hormone. And it's, uh, you could say it's surprising with regards to all the um, literature around the importance, the differences between men and women uh, and sex hormones, that the actual hormone that is controlling the release of sex hormones, yeah. uh, gonadotropin releasing hormone, has, has been so little researched. I have to admit you here I have never heard it before which is extraordinary isn't it when you think of its control yeah so what it does is um, it's, it's in the hypothalamus and there's um, a very small um, uh, blood circulation between the hypothalamus and the pituitary in your brain so it travels to the pituitary and then re uh, stimulates the release of pituitary hormones, which you've probably heard of, luteinizing hormone mm. and uh, follicle-stimulating hormone, yeah. LH and FSH for short. It's those hormones that you measure to check if you've come into the menopause. Mm -hmm. um, and they then, in turn, stimulate the release of uh, estrogen uh, and uh, testosterone. So, And then if you have very high levels of, of estrogen or testosterone, then there's a negative feedback. So then you'll have less levels, less GnRH, uh, gonadotropin-releasing hormone that uh, will then um, uh, stimulate the secretion of LH and FSH. Negative feedback, yeah. So should we then be looking at raising or protecting our levels of gonadotropin? Does it, take, does it go one step back then from just looking at replacing estrogen? Do we need to be having a new focus on the gonadotropin-releasing hormone? Yeah, that's a fascinating question, and um, that's really uh, uh, a lot of what my research is about. Uh, is rather than looking at at um, lower hierarchical hormones, one one takes a step back, as you say, uh, and looks into gonadotropin releasing hormone and perhaps luteinizing hormone and follicle stimulating hormone as well. Um, so we we found that. Um, this hormone uh, could have some pro-inflammatory effects and then by decreasing it um, we showed that you had decreased um, pro-inflammatory hormones such as uh, pro-inflammatory cytokines uh, TNF-alpha um, and some promising results in patients as well. So that, that, that was quite an extraordinary trial then, when you, if, if you're putting patients on gonadotropin-releasing hormone inhibitors then and seeing the results in relation to their autoimmune 
disease. How did that then affect their estrogen levels? Do we have to make a choice as somebody with an autoimmune disease, whether we have, say, for example, symptoms of menopause and no autoimmune issues? Or, you know, can we can we help both? Is it an either or situation, do you think? As of as of today, if you inhibit your gonadotropin releasing hormone, you will also have the side effects of doing that, such as the hot flashes, uh, the menopausal side mm-hmm. effects, which are obviously unwanted. Um, so we have. Um, so, so that's what I'm working on now uh, is, is the idea that you can still uh, decrease the effects of this hormone, but without the side effects of reducing estrogen or testosterone in men for that matter. Uh, so, so, so that's really um, something very important to, to look that at. That would be, yeah, that, that would be amazing. And I know that initially from, from reading your background that you struggled to get interest in this and funding from pharmaceutical companies. Why, why do you think that was? Why do you think they were so resistant? Well, the first time I contacted pharmaceutical companies, I, I, in the book where we write about, I think I was about 24 years old, uh, freshly out of medical school. So I think that that explains why they didn't give us funding <laughs> then. Um, <laughs> no more needs to be said. Um, but then later, when we uh, had done the trial and got really um, promising results and uh, yeah, and and uh, a nice, um, yeah, good feedback from from internationally. Um, I think the reason why at that stage uh, it was difficult for for a pharmaceutical industry interest was because um, this was being done through a commercialization company, a technology transfer office um, that receives all the universities. Um, patents and ideas and then tries to commercialize. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it helped once I personally uh, took contact with uh, pharmaceutical companies um, and that then we received a tremendous amount of interest. And that was despite the, the trial only being a five day long trial, which wow. is really which is nothing, you know, this is a, these are chronic lifetime diseases. Um, so so to get pharmaceutical in- industry interest, you, you really need large, uh, large trials, long term trials. Uh, so, so I think it was really remarkable, really, that we got so much interest for, for a small, st- small, short study. Yes. Well, all credit to you. And is, is your treatment now based on your research? Is this now available to those with rheumatoid arthritis? No, unfortunately not. And uh, I wouldn't want to give false hope to to patients out there that that this is going to be available in the near future. Um, There was a company that bought the uh, license from from the university and they had a uh, gonadotropin-releasing hormone inhibitor that was in their pipeline for uh, other indications. Actually, they made it for prostate cancer and endometriosis and their trial uh, failed in rheumatoid arthritis but they also didn't pursue this drug for what they had initially made it for 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 prostate cancer and endometriosis for whatever reason um so it was really then that i realized that okay uh, that this is back on my shoulders again right. and um we 
<laughs> and uh, we received um, EU funding uh, recently to to continue this in in our in in our company in our drug development company, and um, that's what I'm working on now. Really, is is to to make uh, new molecules that will have uh, the effects of reducing this hormone, but not the side effects of, for example, menopausal symptoms. Absolutely. And I think it's important to to kind of come back to that just, just as we end here. I know a lot of my listeners have been on an extraordinary journey of information about perimenopause, menopause, benefits of replacing lost estrogen. I mean, how, how do you feel about estrogen and the role of estrogen for women throughout our lives? And, you know, I've interviewed many medics here who've talked about it in relation to reducing coronary heart disease, type 2 diabetes and potential links with Alzheimer's and all of these. Um, you know, are you somebody who still considers estrogen to be fundamentally useful and important and how does that work with your your work now when you're trying to block certain aspects of it there's no no doubt in my mind that estrogen is an extremely important hormone um and i think personally if i was to to suffer with um menopausal perimenopausal symptoms or menopausal symptoms um then at least a short course of of estrogen of some sort of hormone replacement uh, as I'm not in, in any sort of risk group uh, mm. and no breast cancer in the family for example um, would I, I wouldn't be concerned about a short course at least to alleviate symptoms um, mm. I would be more concerned about long-term use absolutely sort of if it's approaching five years or more uh, I think I would be more concerned because there is such contradictory um, evidence, at least for autoimmune disease. Um, it, you could almost say the same about the cardiovascular disease, but um, I think, unfortunately, has received uh, a lot of negative attention in, in the last um, decade or so or more. Yes, and I, and I think that does also come down to, uh, to, to dose and type doesn't it? You know, that we, we now know, for example, that the transdermal form of oestrogen in gels and patches and sprays is so much safer um, and in fact reduces oestrogen only, transdermal oestrogen reduces our breast cancer risk and cuts the risk of colon cancer in, in the most recent studies by around 30%. So, you know, that there are these incredible links and, you know, we're still dealing with this legacy, aren't we, of the Women's Health Initiative 18 or so years ago uh, linking the tablet form, the older form of, of HRT with, with synthetic progestogens given to obese elderly women in their 70s, you know, skewing the, the, the cohort. So I think it's, um, you know, I think so much more is, is needed here. But I think the role of oestrogen, people talk about oestrogen dominance, don't they? And, and some people being more susceptible to that. Presumably that might then play into the autoimmune issue. Possibly, um, I think there is the uh, you know genetic aspect um, that some people are going to be more susceptible than others. Uh, people behave differently to to hormone replacement therapy. So interestingly, of course, you know if if you do have very high doses of um, uh, estrogen, then your gonadotropin releasing hormone will shut down. 
effectively effectively uh, what happens during pregnancy when we see that patients generally improve so much uh, in autoimmune disease during pregnancy. So um, I also believe there is some link between um, high doses of estrogen and and the um, the fact that you put gonadotropin releasing hormone to, to sleep then if you like. That's so fascinating, isn't it? That that high levels could actually then switch off. So, you know, some people listening to this may be thinking, oh my goodness, you know, I have an autoimmune issue or I'm concerned about this. I'm going to stop replacing estrogen. But actually from what you're saying, if you want to switch off this gonadotropin releasing hormone, you need to overload with your estrogen, which we know transdermally is, is very safe. Yeah, again, you know, I have to be careful. I wouldn't advise people yeah. <laughs> to overload on their estrogen either. But uh, yes, that's effectively what, what you would be doing if you, if you take a lot of estrogen or, or a lot of testosterone for that matter, then you will be putting to sleep this um, hormone that could be particularly very potent. What's interesting is in uh, in the 70s, there was an article actually uh, published in, in the well-known uh, journal Nature Mm. Uh, suggesting that this this hormone, uh, gonadotropin-releasing hormone, is so potent. That's why it needs to be protected in the in the circulation between just the hypothalamus and the pituitary. It's not meant to go out into your systemic circulation, perhaps because it is so potent. Uh, that's something that evolutionary uh, over over millions, hundreds of millions of years of evolution. You know, we've developed this um, system. Um, but I could talk about that for, <laughs> I could really digress there, um, but I perhaps shouldn't. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, you have taken us on a very, very interesting journey and opened up a whole new area of discussion and awareness. And I'm super grateful uh, for joining us all the way from Norway. Well, I, mean, I look forward to your book being published internationally. Obviously, it came out first in Norwegian and we're just about to... Uh, to enjoy it here in the English-speaking world. So I wish you huge luck with it and, and thank you so much for your time, Anita. Thank you, uh, Liz. Thank you for having me. And that is it for today's fascinating episode. Very big thanks to Anita. And as always, you will find all the links and the resources that we mentioned over on lizalwellbeing.com. There you can sign up for the free weekly newsletter filled with healthy recipes and tips for living well. Lots of information on hormonal research as well. Very many thanks to all those who have left us such lovely reviews. It really does help others to find the show. So thank you if you have a moment to click those five little stars after listening. Thank you so much. And until the next time we chat, go well. Bye-bye. Wellbeing Show is presented by me, Liz Earle, with production by Amaryllis Earle and Harry Trevithick at Heart Dialogue, with thanks to my producer, Ellie Smith, and guest booker, Millie de la Morinière. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.